Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome Solar Warriors. Welcome back to another Thursday episode here on Suncast. Thanks so much for lending me your ears and frankly, the only non-renewable resource that you've got, and that's your time. I hope that you are entrusting us with the next hour of your life and promise you that we will take good care of it. You will not regret what you are about to hear. Today's entrepreneur, Rusty Schmidt, is a successful executive with experience in energy-related manufacturing, service, and consulting from startups to Fortune 100 corporations. It's four decades in energy industry consulting inform Rusty's ability to navigate the ever-evolving world of renewables, microgrids, and frankly, the electrification of everything. We're gonna have a wide-ranging conversation with Rusty that I know you're gonna enjoy, so stick around. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show you can do over at mysuncast.com. That will ensure that you won't miss out on any of our twice weekly content just like this. That's where you can hear more than 350 additional founder stories and startup advice focused on helping you scale your personal and professional career in clean energy. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another fantastic and powerful conversation here on Suncast. Well, as promised, we today are going to be discussing all things electrification, microgrid, and the broad swath of how the energy industry has evolved over more than four decades of today's guest, Mr. Rusty Schmidt, as he has uh, has watched and engaged in helping our industry transition, transform over time. Rusty Schmidt is now with Sage Energy Consulting, and they are taking all that experience into the realm of electrified fleets among many different sectors, schools, and government entities who are trying to figure out how to play in this game of the energy transition. Rusty, welcome to Suncast. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here with you, Nico. I'm glad to have you here, Rusty. And a hat tip to our friends, Lauren and Peter over at Renewcom for bringing you to our attention. It's always good to have folks that uh, can bring great experts onto Suncast with us to explain things that many of our listeners are trying to grapple with themselves. I mentioned that you've got four decades in the energy business. Can you give us a sense of how you discovered the energy business and, and how renewable energy b- began to play a role in what became a career for you? It started really as a college student at Arizona State University. I was studying engineering and spending a lot of time in the outdoors of Arizona and the Four Corners region. And I ended up taking a course in photovoltaics from a professor named Chuck Backus, who mm. was one of the pioneers of photovoltaics. And yeah. in fact, he established the photovoltaics testing center at ASU, which is now widely used. He also, interestingly enough, had a ranch in the Superstition Mountains of Arizona, outside of Phoenix, where we would have various sorts of student outings with him that went late into the night. And I realized that someone like him, who blends his love of the outdoors with science and engineering and doing good work towards helping that environment was was something that I would aspire to. So when I graduated, I wanted to take a long bicycle trip cross country in my lack of career planning. I took the only job that allowed me to start outside of the normal trainee cycle. So mm-hmm. I took a job at Motorola, which allowed me to take my bicycle trip for four months wow. and then start work. And I showed up at Motorola. They said, we have two jobs for you. One's in solar and one is in guided missiles. And I thought, huh, I think solar fits the bill. Yeah. And I stayed there, went on to other parts of Motorola and, and stayed in renewables for pretty much my whole career. You got to start in a company that Several may not recognize, but that has a very solid place in photovoltaic lore, a company called PhotoWatt. 
how and why did you end up at Photowa? And how did that kind of evolve your role in the, in the solar industry? So I spent seven years or so at Motorola, part of which was when they formed a joint venture with Shell Oil, which yeah. has its own unique history in renewable mm -hmm. energy. Doesn't it? I encountered them several times in my career. Then Texas Instruments. And after 16 years of the large corporation, I felt like I wanted to do something different. And I had established a relationship with an entrepreneur out of Canada who had his own successful business and wanted to get into mm -hmm. solar. So I worked with him and with him acquired PhotoWatt back in 1997 and had the very fortunate experience of moving to France, living in Lyon for four years, growing PhotoWatt revenue by a factor of five over those three or four year period. Very interesting experience running a French manufacturing operation. What was the company that acquired PhotoWatt? This company's name was ATS, mm -hmm. Automated Tooling Systems out of outside of Toronto. Klaus Werner, one of yeah. my early mentors. I want to come back to Klaus eventually. Don't let me, don't let us get away from talking about Klaus as well. Cause I know, uh, you know, mentors and that early in your career, the ability to have that kind of a mentor, that kind of activity in your personal growth is, uh, is a key milestone before we get too deep into it. Like sometimes these stories can drag out. You acquired photo while you started advent, you worked at clean switch companies. People are going to recognize Banyan. You were president and CEO at Schletter. Do you feel like there's a through line in the corporate roles that you've achieved from PhotoWatt uh, all the way clear to even now at Sage, but you know, Schletter's a name everyone will recognize? The through line, I think, is Schletter and Banyan to some degree were both turnarounds, troubled companies, mm. whereas some of the earlier companies were just high growth, either yeah. a startup or taking over PhotoWatt and growing it dramatically. Yeah. So the through line is really taking a look at a company, what are its strengths, what are its weaknesses, trying to maximize the strengths, minimize the weaknesses and moving forward. When did it become clear to you that that was something you were good at? How did you know that? I think it took quite a while before that became clear. I've tended to go with instinct, but also where opportunities lay, like the we will come back to Klaus Werner, but that was yeah. an opportunity that helped present itself. It's sometimes hard to recognize strengths in ourselves. Yeah. Maybe other people mm -hmm. see them first. And is that something that was revealed to you through mentorship from others? Partially. And then partially also, eventually it dawns on, on me that, hey, this seems to be a consistent thing. I've, I've recognized a pattern here. It's pattern mm. recognition. Now I'm, now I'm in Schletter and here's what we're doing with Schletter and how to go about it yeah. occurs almost naturally. You know, early in your career, going through the acquisition of PhotoWatt prepared you for thinking about technology disruption. I'd love to hear your thoughts around sort of the skills required or maybe the insight required as you were launching Advent, which for those unaware was circa 2003, as you essentially went into one of the national labs and you know raised capital to spin out and commercialize technology that was seated at a national lab. Can you tell me a bit about that journey? Starting Advent was really an offshoot of PhotoWatt. One mm -hmm. thing I learned at PhotoWatt and going and being in the industry at that point, almost 20 years already, was that sometimes technology doesn't have to be radically different in order to be game-changing for the application. PhotoWatt's technology at the time were very thin silicon wafers, so the cost was lower. Yeah. Advent Solar had the potential for also using thinner wafers, but in a way with higher conversion efficiency. It was back contact cells. It was intriguing to take this out of a national lab. Part of the lab's charter is to develop technology that can then be used to create jobs and in industry in this country. Yeah. That was an exciting opportunity for me too. And raising venture capital was a completely new experience. So it was a combination of having confidence in the technology and our ability to develop that 
while learning new skills of communicating to venture capitalists, which is, as many people in this industry, one of the hard things to do, as you well know, Nico, is communicating how the energy picture is evolving and might evolve in the future to people that aren't immersed in it. What do you feel was particularly attractive at that point, 15 plus years ago now, to the investors that you, what was the nugget that you began to understand, okay, this is what I can actually raise money around. Here's how I can paint the picture for them about a a nascent technology that I'm going to create a business around. At that point in time, PV module costs were somewhere around $3 a watt. This technology had the roadmap to substantially reduce that cost. And cost at that point was one of the big barriers to more, more broad implementation of solar, solar photovoltaics. Mm-hmm. The message to the investors was the barrier is cost. We can break down that barrier. This is the value proposition. I feel like that is part of the pattern recognition for you over time. You mentioned pattern recognition being one of the key skills, certainly of a turnaround manager, but also of someone who ultimately takes a C-suite position at any company, solar or otherwise. How important is the ability for a CEO or a founder to be able to draw that that direct line for investors? Is that always the CEO's job? Do you have to hire for that in your team? I think the CEO has to understand that. It doesn't necessarily have to be the CEO that's the primary communicator of that message. Mm. There are some very effective CEOs that maybe have not been great communicators, but (laughs) they need to understand that because they paint the vision in some way, shape, or form. Key role for a CEO is not just to understand the vision, but to build a team around it that can buy into that vision and help communicate it. Yeah. And that, that, frankly, that's one of the things that I enjoy and have, and have improved my skill set on is building the right team. That's, yeah. that's a fun activity for me. Yeah, I often say to my clients that the CEO's chief role is raising. It's raising money and raising leaders. Clean switch is the first time I can see where the idea of storage really began to emerge in your narrative. Is that where storage began to be a, a, a sort of a, for, a front burner activity for you? I mean, this is all the way 2009. You, it would make you an early innovator in the storage market. Storage was beginning to be talked about and have some practical applications. Although I will say that now that I'm at Sage, mm-hmm. storage is really coming to fruition. So certainly in, in my professional life, storage was was part of what clean switch did but clean switch was still primarily solar at that time due to the cost of the storage what was missing was it just simply a cost dynamic back then or was there anything else fundamentally missing in the storage narrative or market or technology that has been solved in the last decade in addition to cost the bigger the the equally large driver is that people are now seeing the need for it Yep. For resiliency, backup power, demand charge reduction, all the reasons that, that storage is becoming much more popular now is because people have felt the effects of power outages. Yeah. Whether it's recently in Texas, not quite so recently, but recent history in California with the fires and the public safety power shutdowns. As with many products, people need to see the need and what problems is it solving for them. Rusty, you've had the the fortune to lead a number of great companies in our industry that folks recognize, or maybe you're listening to this and you're just hearing PhotoWatt for the first time, take our word for it. It was, was and is an important milestone in our industry's growth. You so, sort of serendipitously fell into even working at Motorola, you told the story of you wanted something that would give you four months for a bike trip. If you think back on you know, that kid at Arizona State or maybe even kid in high school thinking about where he wanted to go to school, what do you want to do with his career? What career path did you not go down but always thought you would? Formula One race car driver. I love that answer. Who's, who's your favorite Formula One driver? Uh, probably Schumacher, but uh, ah. I used to enjoy the which, Nicky Lauda, James Hunt rivalry also. Which Schumacher? Yeah, okay. 
Mikhail. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was and always have been and still am very much into cars. In high school, while I had one outside job, my primary source of income was was running a garage out of my garage, which my wow. parents were very patient with me doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I got into autocrossing in high school, and that was the beginning and end of my driving career. The interest is still there, and uh, my wife and I actually have a goal this year of starting our classic car collection that we've been talking about for quite a while. She's very much into cars as well. Oh, that's sweet. I have a goal of a classic car collection as well, but it is not collecting classic cars per se, rather converting classic cars to electric vehicles. Ah. So yeah, I, I very much want a 1950s era Corvette and I want to convert it to an electric Corvette. And that's just the beginning. I have a whole long list. My friend Bill Soul and I talk often about... <laughs> Converting, converting classic cars to electric. I think it's an opportunity. Jaguar itself is is making electric E types now. Yeah, I think it's gonna be. A, I think it's a whole other segment that'll be fun to get into. I can imagine that history of tinkering with cars and understanding how they work form informs your curiosity and your passion now for helping others think about electrifying what are broadly fossil fuel gas powered fleets. Can we talk a bit then about the sort of the macro view that you have on this energy transition with 40 years of experience in the industry, what are some of the trends that you've been following and and how is now your role as CEO, COO at Sage Energy Consulting evolving into helping others make good decisions around how they you know keep up or, or lead the pack for the energy transition? What we're experiencing now is a real convergence of so many different things mm-hmm. from because of climate change becoming, shall we say, more accepted by more people, let's say. Technology with battery storage coming, prices coming down and abundance of supply, people experiencing power shutdowns, people getting into electric vehicles. That suddenly it's not like it was a couple of decades ago people thought of electricity as, well, I hit the switch and the lights come on and that's great. Now it's more akin to the transformation from landlines to cell phones and the internet on the cell phone. It's a convergence of technologies and need that are are driving this. And the challenge we all have and what Sage brings to our clients is explaining how it all works Mm-hmm. and making sure that it gets implemented, whatever the technology is, whether it's fleet electrification, solar storage, microgrids, efficiency is still a big part of it. Mm-hmm. How do you put all of that together so that it's a, the, the right solution for the client or for you? And that, that's, that remains a, a big challenge for us. And that's that's where Sage brings value, frankly, But it goes back to what I was saying earlier about explaining to venture capitalists or or any anyone about the energy industry and where it's headed. It's it's a complicated picture. You know, I'm going to borrow a bit here from Lauren because I feel like she gave a really great analogy as I'm trying to wrap my head around Rusty Schmidt, who acquired PhotoWatt, created Advent, led a hundred million dollar turnaround of a major global company uh, like Schletter, why is he in consulting right now? When I spoke with Lauren and she sort of started telling me a bit about Sage, which you know I didn't know much about until we had this conversation, is looking sort of at the macro view of this whole zero net energy planning concept that a lot of corporates find themselves in right now. You know, corporates, schools, a lot of different entities are setting these carbon neutral or net zero clean energy goals. But the reality is that most of them have actually never been in energy before as a, as a practice. They have operations managers who manage energy, energy at their building level. But Lauren gave this analogy. They're sort of stepping up to bat and pointing to the fence, but they've actually never even been in the game before. They're not sure how to swing the bat or how fast the pitch is coming. seems like in that sort of an environment where corporates find themselves by external factors pressured into making these statements 
companies like Sage help to step in and coach them along and ensure that they actually have that macro view, but then they have the micro tools. What are some of the ways that you can step in at a, you know, a school board level or a corporate boardroom level with tools to help them analyze and make decisions? The sports analogy is a good one. It is like coaching. Before you can give a batter, to extend that metaphor, a <laughs> tip on hitting, what's the strategy? Yeah. Is he hitting for a single? Is he hitting for a double? Mm-hmm. He's pointing to the fence, but what does that really mean unless you're Babe Ruth? So we do a lot of gentle coaching at times, sometimes a bit more forceful. So I'll give you a great example from, from today, this morning. A first phone call with a potential client. He's with a international firm, multi-billion dollar firm. He has a mandate that he was informed of two weeks ago to get to a certain percentage of renewables by a certain year. Mm. And he does not know how to go about it. He's a facilities type guy. So we explained that we're going to be part of his team. Mm -hmm. We're going to coach him on how to get to the renewables, but in a way that is practical and cost effective and not just rushing out to acquire a bunch of renewable energy by whatever means available. That involves looking at their facilities, looking at their consumption, helping them acquire renewable energy over time. So it, it's, it's a holistic approach. What we bring to projects like this are financial modeling, detailed feasibility studies, looking at different scenarios so that the clients have a realistic understanding of what they might get out of the project. We yeah. then go through with them procurements based on those feasibility designs, full construction oversight and commissioning and ongoing asset management. So mm-hmm. we're on the team from beginning to end. We yeah. don't just advise up front and then walk away. We stick with it and make sure it gets executed correctly. And we, have, we with our clients, live with the results because we're often involved with ongoing asset management. It's interesting. It's like the Accenture of clean energy, <laughs> like the ability to come in and really be an extension of their company. We do think of it as sort of a capital project management consulting business. Mm, that's really interesting. How do these big multi-billion dollar companies find Sage? I, I mean, like I said, I admittedly had not heard of Sage until, uh, until you were introduced to me. Sage has been a low profile company for quite a while, growing quickly, strictly through word of mouth. And it's only in the last 12, 18 months mm-hmm. that we've embarked on getting the word out. And that's where Renewcom has been helping us. Back in February, fellow solar warrior Ravi Mickelson revealed in episode 345 that the world's top banks funneled nearly $2 trillion into fossil fuels since the Paris Accord signing, despite their lip service towards climate and renewables. If that gets under your skin as much as it did mine, then let Ravi's fast-growing fintech banking platform, Atmos, help you align your purpose with your pocketbook, your cause with your cash. And you can know that it's never supporting interests or industries misaligned with your personal mission. Start your financial journey at joinatmos.com forward slash suncast. Hey, by now, I'm sure you've probably heard about our mission-minded program, getting your dream job in clean energy in 12 weeks. Our current cohort is giving us great feedback and kudos, I might add, as they go through the material and our coaching calls. You can see more about what this program looks like at suncast.vip. That's our brand spanking new webpage to talk about the mission-minded program. That's also where you can send friends, family, neighbors, colleagues that you know who might need a little extra help, a little guidance to find that dream job in clean energy. Our mission-minded program cohort is ongoing right now. We are taking a waiting list for our next cohort. I'd encourage you to do two things. One, send anyone you know that might be interested. Two, those of you who are so inclined, please go check out suncast.vip and email me, nico at mysuncast.com. We talked about the services that you provide and how clients find you, but 
I'd love to hear any examples you have of kind of trends that are happening in the market around microgrids or uh, fleet electrification that give us salient insight or example into what problems corporates are trying to solve for right now and how we as an industry need to think creatively to to step up and, and help them across that threshold. Corporates in particular have top-down sustainability goals very mm. often Yeah, without a clear path necessarily on how to get there. And you mentioned fleet electrification. That's an area that we're doing more and more work in. To give you an example, we're currently working with a large network of truck dealerships that operates mm-hmm. throughout North America. We're helping to put in charging infrastructure for their own facilities, mm-hmm. and also working to help their customers do the same thing. And their customers come to them with, we were told we have to acquire some electric vehicles, or they think that it has a real cost advantage. Part of what we have to do is understand the goals and then guide them in such a way that they most economically can accomplish those goals. Similarly, with microgrids, particularly here in California, but soon to be coming in Texas and elsewhere, as people experience some unreliability with their electric supply, particularly with critical situations beyond just hospitals, but school districts, municipal operations, police fire stations, rather than just putting in larger gas generators, we're looking at or helping our clients look at microgrids for those facilities or networks of facilities Mm -hmm. so that they can maintain power in an environmentally sensitive way that's consistent with carbon footprint reduction, sustainability goals, and economics. Rusty, I bet you get a bunch of calls from folks who don't know what they don't know. They have a mandate, as you mentioned, top-down, and they call asking for one thing, and your your job as the Accenture uh, or as the consultant is to help them realize what it is that they really need. Can you give me an example of that? Sure. We get calls from people, firms, companies, schools saying, our power's gone out too many times. We want batteries for backup. You say, great. We understand. There's more to it than that, though. Yeah. What exactly do you want to back up? Is it a food refrigerator? Is it communications? Is it medical equipment? Then we go in and, and figure out how much they need, what sizing of things. And then that leads into... Oh, it's really a microgrid. It might be more than just backup power for one Mm -hmm. hour. It's backup power for days at a time and something that interacts with the grid as as it needs to. It becomes much more complex and it becomes a software problem as well as a hardware problem. It's a mini utility in effect. Uh That's a question I was going to ask you on the mini utility side. Where are you seeing innovation for customers in the marketplace right now for how to use the flexible load that's, that they're managing, the flexible assets that they're onboarding, and the what we anticipate to be flexible nature of the grid moving forward? Where do you see innovation around that? A lot of the innovation is coming in the software controls, and part of our job is to match that with the client's needs and to help the client understand what it's doing. For example, it's relatively easy to say you have a battery so you can run your facility off the battery during the high demand charge period so that you can save money. But it really goes further than that to grid services. And if the utility wants to be able to draw power from that battery when it needs it, for example, during high load conditions. It becomes a two-way street. The client might be helping the utility during periods of stress, and the utility might be helping the client in other periods. So the innovation is in the control systems. Certainly there's some hardware innovation and things like that as well, but it's the overall control that really dictates how well the system works. Are there any companies that you think are really leading the charge when it comes to innovating around software and controls? There's so many new ones out there right now. Um, I'd hesitate to name name names, 
there is some some interesting stuff. And to go further, back to the fleet electrification, the whole vehicle to grid opportunity is really nascent right now, fraught with uh, regulatory safety technology risks, but something that if you look at the overall storage capabilities of all the cars sitting around, it's uh, it's an interesting opportunity for the future. Are we talking about a future that is two years out, one year out, 10 years out? I think for vehicle to grid, widespread deployment is several years away. Pilot programs now. Europe is doing more work with V to G, as we call it, than, than we are here yeah. in this country, as is often the case in the energy world. But So um, look to Europe for innovation around V to G. That's very interesting. How do you stay current? On all the technology that's coming out. I mean, where do you get your insights? Hundreds of phone calls? Are there other sources? How do you tap into it? You know, it's it's talking to people. It's it's trade shows back when there were trade shows. It's reading periodicals. It's listening to podcasts. It's yeah. it's a can I wide ask, variety of sources. Can I ask some specifics? Uh, what periodicals? What podcasts? You know, Renewable Energy World, shows like SPI and Intrasolar. Mm-hmm. I think some of the there's and I can't think of the names, but there's, you know, the the email newsletters that come across that often have the real leading edge, fascinating tidbits in them. Yeah. Like Utility Dive or are there others that you're thinking of? Yeah, that's one. Honestly, Axios Generate has some interesting yeah, I've things. I've been so impressed with Axios lately. It's unbelievable yeah. with the, the way they've stepped up. Yeah. Agreed. Do you listen to like Interchange and Energy Gang, those kinds of podcasts, or are there others that maybe are off my radar that I'd learn from? I listen to some of those. Um, I can't think of any that are probably off of your radar. You give me too much credit. No. <laughs> no, I can't think of any, to be honest with you. That's that's fine. So we'll, we'll just uh, say that Rusty listens to Suncast every week, and that's how he's so smart. That's right. <laughs> Perfect. Rusty, tell me something that's true for you that maybe very few people agree with you on. So few people, and I'm guessing you're one of them based on something you said earlier, in our industry would agree with me that the visceral experience of driving a car with a gasoline engine and that fine exhaust sound is more pleasurable than driving an an EV because of the lack of the sensory experience. So I've had this conversation at length with my father. I learned to drive in my father's 1992 Corvette ZR1. And uh, I wrecked and totaled his ZR1. My dad is a very gracious and forgiving man. I'm very familiar with, and I grew up in a family, by the way, of Harley Davidson motorcycle riders. Uh, Very familiar with the visceral connection to driving. My dad, like you, grew up building muscle cars. I could go on and on and on about the number of times he has railed me about the the stripping of the very essence and nature of a Corvette by moving by taking a gas engine out of it and and putting an electric block in or a battery block. Do you believe that that is an impediment to the electrification of the automobile industry, or 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 what does it say about our society? I mean, is there anything that we can extrapolate from that or draw from that? I think it says that in certain instances, guys like me are are resistant to change because they like what they like. Yeah. And that goes beyond vehicles to to so many different things. Yeah, but I don't know that that's a major impediment. I think that there. I think there's larger impediments to transitioning to EVs than than guys like me and your dad. Oh, I told my dad, "What if I build in to the seat you're driving in your your experience, feeling the vibration and the rumble and the sound and." And essentially your brain being tricked into feeling like you're in a muscle car, even though uh, with, with more power and torque, by the way. Yep. And he said, (laughs) and he said, oh, you can't fool me. (laughs) So, Oh man, I love that. I love that conversation every time. I mean, we literally have this conversation once, you know, every holiday, because I tell my dad how, uh, how much I want to take his, his Harley, (laughs) Harley Davidson and convert it. And he was like, literally said over my dead body. And I said, well, I'll be here then. (laughs) Uh, I'll be here waiting, dad. To your point, one of the things that I think our industry rushes headlong into is the, uh, our own uh, effervescent belief in technology and its betterment of society without taking into consideration 
how to convert the hearts and minds of folks that are very comfortable with the way they've been doing things and don't see any reason to change because change is disruptive and change slows down before it speeds up. What are you doing differently now and perhaps in your role at Sage than you have been over the last decade to help folks get over that curve, get over that comfort, that discomfort? It's been an interesting transition for me going to Sage because most of my career has been in technology development and manufacturing. Now I'm on the other side consulting, yeah, working with clients. It's given me an, a further appreciation of people's concerns, how to try to explain and listen at the same time. I have not always been strong at that. I like to explain, and if they don't get it, it must be their fault. It's different in the role of coach rather than one of the players out there on the field. Yeah. You've been in our industry for, you know, four decades. I mentioned before, you've seen a lot of great companies come and go, leaders come and go. Early in your career, you had the you know, pleasure of working with and being mentored by Klaus. When you think of success in our industry, who comes to mind? Even it could be a person or a company. I go back a little bit earlier in my career to a couple of people. As I was at Texas Instruments helping to develop a technology there, I ended up facilitating the sale of that technology to Ontario Hydro. Mm. Met a researcher there by the name of Sean Q. Well-known? Yes, well-known guy. Not so well-known at that time. Shortly after that, a year or two later, was when I acquired PhotoWatt, and he came to work for us at PhotoWatt. He I started chills, to, man. I'm loving this. <laughs> he started to talk to me about this Canadian government money that was available to help develop businesses because of the Kyoto Protocol, mm. and that he felt like he could start something in China and leverage that that kind of funding to do so. And of course, me with my brilliant foresight thought, huh, that sounds too complicated. But he obviously did it. And Canadian solar has been wildly successful. Yeah, He's a, he's a great leader and a great, credibly intelligent if you, person. If you want to hear the other side of that story, go listen to episode, I think, 122 or three. Uh, I, I can tag it here in the show notes. I got chills because I have heard the other side of this story. I've had, I got Sean's full story. And it's fascinating. As soon as you said a young researcher at Ontario Hydro, I knew immediately. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, this sounds super familiar. That's crazy because I knew he went to PhotoWatt and then he left PhotoWatt uh, and basically started Canadian Solar on the side. Um, exactly. He was doing deals for Canadian Solar while at PhotoWatt. Man, yep. what a fun trip right there. That is super cool. Yeah. Uh, yes, Sean, Sean Chu stands as an example of success, I think, by any standard. Another guy that jumps learn? out to me as yeah, a success is, is Alf Bjorseth, founder of what is now REC Group, not oh. REC, the installer, but yeah. REC Group, the module manufacturer. Yeah. Originally was ScanWafer back in the 96 timeframe when he founded that. He had been a successful wow. entrepreneur in another industry and got into solar early. We worked together. We were both on the European PV Industry Association board. And at PhotoWatt, we bought wafers from ScanWafer when that was all they were producing was just the wafers. Worked with him to work out their cleaning process on those wafers. And we know now where that company went to in terms of rec group, wildly successful. Yeah. Um, I think what he and Sean have in common, aside from being brilliant, is also they're both genuine people. They're, mm. they, they, they believe in life being a two-way street help out people when they need help and things come back to help you. So room for one more here in the pantheon of leadership. Uh, I want to come back to Klaus and I'd love to hear as a mentor, where did Klaus best advise you or what did you most, uh, what do you most remember about your time working with Klaus Werner and uh, you know, the, the photo art experience? So Klaus did a great job of, of starting and leading his company to rapid growth going public mm. I learned from him being flexible as to things can change. Don't get too wed to a certain strategy or plan because mm -hmm. things can change. Don't rely on one client base. Don't rely on one source of financing. 
be able to pivot. I also learned don't waste time. He uh, was famous for, he could be demanding, let's say, in very colorful mm -hmm. ways. But he also was was fully prepared to take advantage of opportunities. Mm. I remember shortly after we acquired PhotoWatt, a year or so later, we had an opportunity for some high demand from a customer, but we needed more money to expand. And it might even lead to some losses for a short period of time while we ramped up. And it was totally outside of our budget. Yeah. And his quote to me was, do it. It's just a blank budget. Don't worry about it. So, <laughs> recognizing opportunity and, and trying to capitalize on those opportunities. Definite lesson. That's amazing. The real key in my mind to business is relationships. With Sage, it's all about our relationships with clients. In my past entrepreneurial careers, it's been, or opportunities, it's been relationships that have created those opportunities. I got to know Klaus because he was building some equipment for us at Texas Instruments. Hmm. And, and through numerous conversations over dinner and some adult beverages, many, many times, we really came to an understanding of the opportunities that are in solar, how his company's strengths could help leverage those opportunities into something greater. And it turned into to PhotoWatt. And that's just one example of many where it's it's the relationships that can help you find success in life and don't don't lose those relationships. Mic drop. I could stop Suncast right now and say, all right, we're shutting it down. That's it, folks. But that is what 360 episodes of this podcast have have reinforced for me, revealed for many. Most of the folks that you look up to, that you admire in life, got there because they were really aware and present in the process of relationship building. And like Klaus, got good at, at recognizing opportunity and capitalizing on it and not sitting back. So there's the ability to filter. That's that decision matrix, right? That pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. There's the ability to build relationship. And then there is, through pattern recognition, the ability to make decisions quickly. Right. One of the things I tell my kids all the time, if I teach you nothing else between now and 18, it's it's that the difference between crossing the road and becoming roadkill kill is hesitation and the ability to make a decision, whether that's turn back or go forward, can mean life or death. And it really is one of the key things that you can learn, key skills you can learn in life. Thank you for sharing that, man. That's so uh, it's so important and helpful. Listening to this, one might come away with the false assumption that you've never had much failure. We'd need another episode to dig into it all. But is there anything that really stands out to you that for you is a huge learning lesson along the path, along your career, where you look back and you go, man, that was painful, but I learned so much from it. Oh, how many times you'd write, we need another episode just for my own <laughs> stories around that. Yeah. Advent Solar was not a huge success for its investors. Mm -hmm. There were opportunities to turn it in a different direction that were there and, and we didn't capitalize on them. The lessons really come back to, as you just said, in fact, pattern recognition, not being afraid to move in a different direction when it's needed. It's sometimes maintaining a path feels more comfortable that's not always the right thing to do. I think at this juncture of an interview, our service to you listener is to help you with mental models, not answers to specific questions. And so that for me is extremely helpful. Pattern recognition and shift understanding that you can, you can live or die by not shifting at the right time. I'd like to throw in something else, if I may, mm. that recognizing a situation, even if it's dire, is the key to getting out of it successfully. And the, one of the best books that I've read for business is not a business book. It's called Deep Survival hmm. by a gentleman named Lawrence Gonzalez. He wrote 
he studied and then wrote about why certain people survive things that most people would die if they experienced the same thing. And it started by his father's experience in World War II, in which he was shot down 20-something thousand feet. His father survived that crash only to be uh, found in the field by the enemy with guns. Long story short, he survived the whole ordeal. What he told his, what the father told his son, the author of this book, was that he remembered as he was going down how beautiful the forest looked, how lovely it was going to be to get down there, and what would he do when he got down there. The point of that, and there's many other cases in there as well, of being stranded in a snowstorm for days on end. In each case, the common thread was that the person in the situation recognized it for what it was, accepted Mm it, didn't feel sorry for themselves, didn't say, oh, no, I'm going to die. Okay, I'm cold. Let's see what we're going to do about it. And the same thing in business. Things go wrong. Bad things happen. Surprises occur. The pandemic arrives. Okay, it's here. What are we going to do about it? We're all going to work from home. How are we going to make that work? You accept it, do deal with it as best you can and move on. Well, that plays right into uh, a segment where I call learning leadership and legacy. I often ask if there are books that you've recommended or gifted the most and why. Would there be another beyond Deep Survival, Who Lives, Who Dies and Why uh, by Lawrence Gonzalez? We'll certainly tag that one. But is there, are there any others that have had an impact on the way you live or lead? I think Thomas Friedman has written several good books. What's the one he wrote about flat something and crowded, global and crowded, something to that effect? Hot, flat and crowded. Hot, flat and crowded. That one. Yes. I've gifted that one quite a bit. Love it. It's an excellent uh, dissertation on the problems and why we need these solutions that we're all here working on. Do you have any sort of morning routine or a consistent practice that has yielded great impact for you in your life? Well, it's changed over time, but the one thing that's consistent for me is that I need to be physically active. Lately, meaning the last few years, it's always been morning exercise of some sort or another. Could Mm -hmm. be as simple as a walk, could be a workout in the gym, bicycle ride, clears the mind, gets the body working. And as you can tell from me sitting here, I have trouble sitting still anyway. It happens. I, I've, I've worked since 2013 at a standing desk for that very reason. Uh, yeah. They say that standing at a standing desk is the equivalent of running. I think it's like a week at a standing desk is the equivalent of running a marathon. So I've run now, I don't know, what's that? 52 times seven. <laughs> yeah. No, I have a standing desk also. My problem though is on video conferences. They like it if I stay in front of the camera. And if I have a standing desk, I tend to move around way too much. (laughs) I'm in the same, I'm in the same boat, my friend. Rusty, this for me has been a true joy. I'm sure those listening in have learned a ton. Where do you like to be found? How can folks get more of Rusty Schmidt outside of Suncast? Oh, they can find me on LinkedIn, certainly. You can certainly email works, russell at sagerenew.com. I'm not a big uh, Twitter, Facebook kind of guy. Yeah. Nonetheless, we'll link to the LinkedIn page for Sage Renew, and we'll link to how to find you on LinkedIn. You've got a great way to connect him right there with his email for those who are so inclined. Let's end with a bold prediction. Rusty, what one thing do you see happening in the market that maybe nobody else is yet tracking. What is in your crystal ball for 2021 and the energy transition? That is a tough one to answer. Of course I it is. recently became aware of a company that's been working on alkaline batteries that can be recharged the way lithium batteries can be recharged. What? That seems to me to be fascinating. A company is called Urban Electric Partners. So I think there's going to be innovations in storage beyond what we are seeing in the press today. That could be one. I also think that carbon footprint is going to become more understood by 
uh, are much more widely understood, even on the individual level. Mm-hmm. And the, an example that was just shown to me was in Google now. If you're looking at different Google Maps, different transportation modes, it will tell you, in some cases, the carbon footprint of the mode that you're choosing. What? I didn't know that. That is amazing. Yeah. Hmm. So I think that, you know, that's like uh, <laughs> preaching to the masses when it's there. Yeah. Alkaline batteries will be rechargeable. Storage will innovate much beyond what we are seeing in the zeitgeist of media today. And your carbon footprint will, in fact, follow you or precede you, depending on how your Google search works for you. Rusty Schmidt is the COO of Sage Energy Consulting. He is, in fact, a Sage advisor and consultant from many years of developing the industry we all enjoy and is a key constituent in helping the energy transition. Rusty, thank you for joining us here on Suncast. Thank you, Nico. All right, Solar Warriors, that is a wrap on today's conversation, but it is not the end of this conversation. Oh no. Thank you for those of you who routinely go on to LinkedIn and Twitter and not only comment and like, but then even share this episode and many others with your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors, your baker, your cat sitter. I love every single time anyone takes the extra effort to share this episode with others. You can do uh, two very specific actions. The first would be to go find us on LinkedIn uh, and, and do all those things. The second would be right inside the podcast player that you are using right now. You can subscribe to the show, you can like it, you can rate it, but well, rating is kind of like liking it and you can share it with others. That helps us get discovered by even more folks just like you who are trying to level up in their career and in their journey to clean energy transition that we are all championing. If you are eager to keep learning, then you, my fellow Philomath, can find the resources, highlights, links to the books, to social media, and so much more from this discussion and every other discussion on Suncast over at the blog at mysuncast.com. There's a plethora of other ways that you can engage with us there as well. So I'll let you discover those as you will. While you're there, by subscribing to our newsletter, we will give you a heads up every time the next episode is out, as well as all the different ways that we are partnering with others in the clean energy sector uh, for events and other fantastic voyages of uh, of knowledge expansion, webinars and the like. They're all there at mysuncast.com. Hope that you will take some time and poke around and learn more. Thanks once again to our sponsors for helping make this content free to you. If that is something that you would like to check into, or if you'd like to see what the offers were from our sponsors, you can do that at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor and join in the many others who have uh, helped us keep this content free for the thousands of listeners every week here on Suncast. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>